The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live. And check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion, hosted by Michael Guyon. My name is Michael Guyot, publisher of The Lead Lagger. Uh, joining me for the hour is Tavi Costa, who's always not only a phenomenal follow on Twitter, but uh, is great to listen to and, and uh, exchange some thoughts with. So hopefully this will be a good conversation. If any of you want to ask questions during this hour, don't hesitate to click on that bottom left button. I'll try to bring you up. If I bring you up, please just keep yourself on mute and I'll let you know when the time is right. So, uh, Tavi, uh, for those who are not familiar with who you are and your background, just uh, introduce yourself to the audience here. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. By the way, you're a content machine. I appreciate your work as well. And last time we talked, I was stuck in a cab in the middle of Sao Paulo, Brazil, in the middle of a storm. So now I'm in Denver in my house. It's much easier to have a discussion. Um, I'm actually originally from Brazil. I was born and raised in Brazil. I actually I live in the U.S. I, I'm a portfolio manager uh, and partner. We manage three different hedge funds, a global macro, long short, and also now we have a precious metals fund that also has exposure to base metals too. Um, or I think our views or macro views has been, uh, we, we try to at least uh, provide a lot of our views uh, uh, on, on, on Twitter uh, through charts and letters, uh, in-depth letters that we write. Um, a lot of ideas uh, to uh, that we think uh, are uh, interesting to capitalize in today's environment that we can discuss, but it's a, it's an interesting setup, and uh, we certainly commodity bulls and and have been shorting uh, most technology stocks, and we've been long uh, the dollar versus the Chinese yuan, the Hong Kong dollar. Happy to get into any of the topics you would like to. Okay, so and that goes a little bit to the to the name of the space, but let's first talk about the thesis behind commodities besides Russia, Ukraine, and besides chart line go up, right? Which unfortunately is, I think, the way most people uh, come up with investment thesis. They simply look at what's going up and to the right. Um, educate the audience here for a bit on what happened to commodities in the prior cycle, why they never really performed that well, and what's changed here. Well, I think I think the commodities uh, bull market uh, in general is predicated on the the capital spending cycle of natural resource industries. I think this starts from there. And the prior cycle, we've had a declining trend of capex, but not yet at record lows as we have today. On the adjusted to GDP uh, today, we are basically at a twenty-year low. Uh, if you look at not only capital trends, the labor trends, we've had 
uh, enrollment for geoscience uh, in, in, in undergrad and, and graduate programs in an also secular down, uh, downturn. Um, and so basically, uh, the overinvestment in infrastructure and, and, and projects, uh, natural resources is what drives uh, the cycle here. And certainly we are very suppressed through uh, just extreme conservatism by most of the, the managers of those corporations, but also uh, the efforts that we all know on ESG and other political efforts uh, that have been getting in the way. Uh, so on top of it, we've had because of this lack of, of capital spending, we've had lack of discoveries. And so uh, companies have not spent enough on exploration. And so we haven't seen uh, new discoveries, new projects. Most of the, the new com- the large companies in, in precious metals, base metals, uh, for instance, have not developed any new, um, any new uh, large uh, mining project. And, and so those are going to have uh, ramifications in markets going forward. Uh, I would also point out to uh, the environment where I think we're entering, which is an inflationary regime. Inflationary regimes are places where uh, we've had that in the 70s and the 1910s, uh, when rates are deeply negative, when cost of capital is on the rise. Um, and what you got is is the, the comeback of profitability, where folks begin to uh, prioritize profitability again. And commodities, uh, since they're linked to tangible assets, commodities, and so when the prices of those rise, uh, we see the fundamentals improving. So we have, on a free cash flow basis, majority of the commodity producers have never been so profitable. Uh, and if they, if not, they're very close to their record levels today uh, at a time when their prices are still relatively low. I just posted a chart of oil companies as an example. Uh, free cash flow yield is, is a historical high, close to 8 to 9% right now. And so um, I believe that those the leadership change in markets due to the rising cost of capital, which requires more fundamental analysis, would drive investors into the space as well. There's a lot more to this uh, thesis here uh, as, as it involves to geopolitical problems, uh, the pillars of inflation that I believe uh, are, are kind of uh, uh, creating drivers of, of consumer prices uh, being on the rise more sustainably. Uh, that we can also get into it. But hopefully I answer your question. Let's talk about the declining trend of CapEx for a moment, because I'm going to assume that it's particularly true with commodities that and commodity producers that CapEx will follow commodity prices, but there is obviously a lag, right, Mm -hmm. with that. Um, And I assume also that there's distinctions uh, between and among different commodities, even even within that lag. So from, from the work that you've done, uh, when capex starts to increase, how long does it take to actually matter for commodity prices? And that's an issue uh, uh, that we see throughout history. And by the way, I should point out: see, Kevin Smith is there as well. He's he's my partner. He does a lot of the work as well uh, to help uh, to help me sound smart in these interviews, <laughs> but uh, um, or at least. Uh, uh, attempt uh, that, and and what I would say is those reversals on 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 capex trends are they take they take a long time. Uh, it's it's also the availability of capital uh, that becomes an issue during those times. And right now, with cost of capital rising, you would think uh, that availability for for capital for those companies uh, will become even even more of a of a of a complex scenario. Um, I would say. Uh, the, the the other issue is geologically is 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 becoming harder and harder, especially in the metals side, for you to find metals. And so um, we've had in the last uh, 
30 years or so misallocation of capital when it comes to exploration. Um, and so I think that that's, that's also going to play an important role. Uh, and there's another issue too, uh, Michael, which I think has to do with, uh, uh, you know, attracting uh, uh, new shareholders to those businesses is, is the fact that companies are being forced to pay more dividends, uh, to do more buybacks. And so the, the, the issue of, of having to attract uh, more investors to, the, to, uh, to those businesses have, have, have forced those companies to pay, uh, to almost uh, spend more money uh, or more capital uh, than, uh, giving it back to those shareholders than actually spending on their own businesses. So if you aggregate CapEx and dividends today for commodity producers, uh, they're almost uh, uh, giving more capital back to the shareholders than what they have been spending on CapEx over the last 12 months. But those trends should take, you know, they usually take five, uh, five to seven years. Uh, and obviously that will change according to each of those, uh, those natural resource industries. I would say that gold, precious metals, metals in general take a little longer. Um, energy uh, may, may go a little quicker. Um, and, and I, you know, if you start seeing historical highs in, in, in terms of, of, of CapEx uh, in general, not, not, just, not just historical highs in nominal terms, but also uh, in the rate of change basis uh, over time. Um, I think that that's, that's a time when you, you should start uh, getting more concerned. I think we're very, uh, very far from that. Uh, we're, we're quite at the opposite side of that. Um, and, and remember, uh, we're at a very unique setting right now where, uh, let's just use oil as an example here because I think it's important. Oil prices are just at around $100 a barrel. Every time in history we've had oil at those levels, uh, we've had, uh, uh, you know, the, the whole industry was booming. So there was no shortage of folks trying to get into uh, geology, trying to get a job with energy companies. Today, this, this setup is completely opposite, where uh, we're seeing folks actually leaving energy companies uh, in, in a large scale. And so... Uh, those are those are the problems. Is 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 that uh, it's going to take time for us to see the professionals and 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 the knowledge uh, of 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 labor markets to um, uh, feed into this this capex cycle in order to have more supply of natural resources in the future. So um, you know, there's a lot of things linked here, but uh, I would say the availability of capital uh, linked with uh, with the issues geologically and the issues with labor uh, is is really what causes uh, the, the the capex trends to take so uh, so long to uh, uh, to manifest themselves. I had um, Joseph Wang uh, on a space Fed Guy Twelve is his handle. Um, it's on my YouTube channel as well, and he's a former Fed trader knows a lot of the ins and outs of the Federal Reserve and. We were talking about some of the things the Fed does that most people tend to not think about. And one of the things he mentioned is that the Fed can effectively direct uh, liquidity to certain industries, certain sectors. And, you know, when they tend to have kind of a more bluish type of tilt in the way that uh, the government does, that makes them go more towards ESG and favoring things which arguably have made CapEx lower when it comes to drilling. Um, talk about how important the role of the government and central banks are to changing CapEx trends? Because I think that's kind of relates to what you mentioned before about liquidity, right, for CapEx to to pick up. But I think that's an important thing to, to think through. So, so just, just kind of experiment with that idea for a bit. We'll be back after a quick break. 
Hello, listeners. Michael Gayet here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Well, I think there are a lot of things. I mean, some of them are linked to ESG efforts, uh, certainly, and I, you know, we can we can talk through that too. But it, um, but that there are also other things happening in the macro environment that forces uh, changes in policy making that also have impact in natural resource companies. You know, we can use as an example what we're seeing when it comes to the tightening of monetary conditions right now uh, that makes it more difficult. Uh, for companies to uh, uh, to attract capital and to also raise capital um, for for those uh, those projects, I think that's uh, that's a very uh, important part of of what's what's happening. But the second thing I would say is is the sentiment is is shifting as we see geopolitical tensions rising and, and commodities becoming uh, a much more strategic asset for countries in general uh, and becoming more of a defense. Uh, uh, strategy to uh, to hold commodities and to have a, a long term strategy uh, to have natural resources to function your economy. Um, I think I think we've been uh, I think we're going to see a, a trend towards uh, governments become becoming more friendly uh, to finding ways of of, of helping companies. But I, I still think we're we're not there yet. I mean we're uh, we're still getting used to perhaps asking energy companies, for instance, to improve or to increase production. Uh, you know, we're we're at that phase. I mean, we just talk about a phase uh, uh, passing a forty billion dollar uh, bill to help uh, the Ukraine uh, versus uh, the war with uh, with Russia. Uh, well, forty billion dollars, just to put into perspective, is about what the exploration and production companies in oil spent in the last twelve months uh, in capex, and so. Um, and so, so that gives you some some uh, uh, some ideas of of maybe there it's going to be a point where the government will have to get involved uh, and throw uh, you know some uh, tens of billions of dollars in order to make um, some projects in the U.S. natural resource projects uh, economically viable uh, in order to uh, feed the economy through the electrification uh, trends that we're seeing and and some. Uh, other infrastructure revamp uh, and 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 you know bringing back manufacturing. I mean, there's so many construction related uh, themes that are going to play out in the next five to ten years that you are also very aware of, um, but that are going to need um, also uh, commodities. You know, the construction on residential parts and non-residential. I mean, all that is going to need a, a significant amount of of commodities, and so. Um, I think that the government will have to get involved at some point. Um, now, today, as of now, uh, we're you know we're seeing some shifts when it comes to geopolitical alliances. Uh, we're seeing Venezuela maybe coming into play, which is uh, we ha- it has not been for for many uh, for for over a decade. Um, we've uh, we've had the issues with Ukraine and Russia. Um, the Middle East is going to play a, a big part on that too. Uh, the problems with China. Uh, especially for companies that have their manufacturing plants in China. We have to think about what's the balance of power 
of economies going to shift uh, from that, meaning uh, companies that will bring back their manufacturing to the U.S., something that Trump started in 2015, 2016, uh, even prior to his election. Uh, but it's it's now becoming even more pronounced as a narrative, and I think uh, becoming more bipartisan will probably uh, uh, you know develop as well. Um, again, this is uh, not not any political thoughts, just sharing my views about how politics uh, may play into this. But I think we're at the very beginning of 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 that trend of of politicians is starting to realize, um, and even Elon Musk is is starting to realize more recently. Uh, the the pain of, of 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 developing a new mine. I mean, we haven't, like I said, we haven't seen new developments of natural resource projects, and so people have uh, lost the, um, you know, the the uh, they don't know exactly how long it takes to uh, to do those. And we're very involved with those projects. We're very much aware of the the, the complexity of of bringing a project a project into production. I mean, it's it's. It's brutal, you know. The the lack of professionals and uh, capital in general has been very difficult to uh, to build new new natural resource projects to come into production. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, we've been. I think it depends on the commodity. Um, the majority of the commodities, at least in our view, we've been doing both. Uh, we've, we have allocation to the commodity, the physical commodity, but also we have allocation to, uh, the businesses involved with those. And I, I would say it's a more of a question of where are the bigger inefficiencies in the market, uh, than anything. And I think the biggest inefficiencies are still mostly on exploration and development. Uh, and that is because the majority of the capital that has been now chasing commodities over the last 12 months or so that we've seen that shift. Uh, and I would say, especially in, in energy um, and maybe some base metals and agricultural commodities kind of coming back to play, um, the majority of that capital usually chases the more consistent free cash flow built companies, the, the companies that have been in production for many years. Uh, if, you, if you follow gold closely and gold miners, I would say the GDX members and Newmonts and barracks of the world, the free ports. Uh, those are going to be the ones that are going to uh, capture most of the allocation. Uh, and so you start seeing the you know, less inefficiencies in those markets, even though we think we think those are going to perform very well. But if you're looking for asymmetry, I think the biggest asymmetries uh, uh, is going to be certainly in, in more exploration and, and development. The more you go to exploration, the more it requires the geological um, uh, uh, expertise. And as I said before, uh, there is a lack of that. You know, there's a lack of geologists that actually know uh, about, uh, in, uh, capable of discerning uh, what is a good and a bad project. And so we're going to go through a shift of creating new geologists and creating um, folks that will fulfill those, those inefficiencies that now we currently have. And so I'll give an example. In the majority of the companies that we are invested uh, the, when they put out results, I mean, we're not seeing, um, you know, the, the, the manner that we've seen in the past, uh, uh, the types of, of appreciation of price of those of those shares when they uh, when they released uh, very strong uh, drill results. And that's a great example of a market that just doesn't understand, um, you know, the, the complexity of, of, of the geology side of, of how to how to really discern if that's uh, that's positive or negative. And so I think uh, 
I think this is a great opportunity. I see this as a great opportunity as a niche for uh, a hedge fund. We we focus mostly in mining and, and precious metals and base metals, but uh, I think there's, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of inefficiencies in, in energy and a lot of inefficiencies in agricultural commodities as well. I'm just not as involved. So finally, to answer your question, uh, we are involved with, with both. Um, I think the producers will suffer um, a little bit of a margin squeeze problem. Uh, I think there's, uh, um, you know, labor costs is rising. We're seeing energy costs rising too, cost of capital rising. That certainly it will hurt uh, a little bit some of those uh, those producers. Um, and the, the exploration companies suffer a little less from that because the energy costs and the energy um, uh, part of their of uh, their costs is, is not is not as 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 high of a weight uh, compared to uh, development and 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 production stories. And so, um, you know, I think uh, in our view, when you hold the high quality exploration asset, where you're holding is uh, is something that is in development of 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 increasing the amount of minerals in the ground or finding those discoveries, but uh, also holding uh, minerals in the ground. You know, that's that's really ultimately what what this strategy really is 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 finding that mineral and holding that mineral in the ground as the price of 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 the actual mineral rises over time creates that leverage uh to the company and so you 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 end up seeing those very strong appreciations um in price of exploration assets during the beginning of and middle parts of the of the bull uh cycle for for commodities in general so um Hopefully, I answer your question, but that's that's. Uh, I think that's where most of the inefficiencies are. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with how you dish. It's social media with a secret sauce: food. The world's first network for food enthusiasts. How you dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How you dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. It seems to me, Tommy, that oil is the most critical of all the commodities because it's the commodity that goes into extracting other commodities. And going back to your point about the government side and allowing for um, uh, more production and kind of more friendly uh, policies towards towards commodities, um, I, again, like you, I don't want to make it a political thing, but I find it hard to hard to swallow when you've got you know, right now, administration in the U.S. and very loud uh, you know, Democrats basically saying, "Well, you know, we're, we want to do these windfall taxes hmm. on on uh, oil and energy companies." Um, how does it look outside the U.S. in terms of those kind of more government friendly policies for uh, trying to increase production across commodities, in particular with oil? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I should say, uh, I could not agree more. I mean, it's, it's as far as, as, as today relative to history, I think we're too far, um, from anything, um, that will be remotely positive to, uh, to really shift the CapEx cycle significantly. I think if anything, it's just going to constrain even further. And, and it's been my view and I, you know, I think I'm allowed to change my view regarding to that over time. If we see big shifts, but uh, 
it has been my view that the CapEx cycle may actually take even longer than prior cycles uh, because of the that shift. Um, and, uh, you know, just think about what's happening with the strategic oil reserves. Um, you know, those policies are just so backward looking yet. Um, and, and yet they're happening at, at, at a degree that we have not seen in the past. I mean, we just look at oil prices rising at a time when they have been selling um, record amounts of reserves over time here in the U.S. Um, now, outside of the U.S., look, there it's difficult. You know, South America uh, is going through a lot of political changes. Um, and, you know, we're it's, uh, you know, maybe Brazil. I can speak a little bit more about Brazil being a Brazilian. Uh, we've got, I think it's a, really the, one of the very, uh, probably the only country in South America. It is, I guess I can say with confidence that it is the only country in South America that has more of a polarization, uh, politically speaking, from the right to the left. Um, I don't think we have that anywhere in, in South America. I think that's a positive, by the way. Uh, it just uh, creates uh, more debates, but also it, it causes uh, you know, population to... Uh, uh, to improve their their knowledge in general about uh, you know to uh, to be able to <laughs> to be part of those debates uh, in their families and friends and so forth. I think that's a very positive development happening in, in Brazil. Um, that over time we'll see the the benefits of of that. Unfortunately, the majority of South America is still uh, very much left versus pretty much another center or center left party, uh, and that's really what the political debate really is about. There is no polarization as we have here in the in the U.S. or, or I would say even more in, in in Brazil relative to other parts of of South America, uh, and that certainly has an impact on mining. Um, so we've had uh, Peru being a very difficult place to operate. We've got Mexico being difficult. Um, you know, Bolivia. We've had uh, unique parts of Bolivia that uh, we've been having having success uh, with our investments actually uh, in there of places that are. Um, actually very mining friendly, believe it or not. Uh, Chile has been absolutely uh, terrible uh, for uh, for the uh, creation of new uh, projects. Um, and again, I'm speaking mostly about mining uh, and because uh, that's uh, where most of our investments are involved. Um, I would say uh, Argentina is in the process, in my view, of, of, of becoming more of a Venezuela. I think you don't see, you know, a, a development like that happen in a year. It takes, you know, sometimes uh, decades. You have many uh, shifts, monetarily speaking and uh, and politically speaking, too, uh, where smart capital leaves the country. And I think certainly that that is a trend in Argentina. Um, so we've had success in Brazil, Bolivia, but other parts have been very difficult. They're not mining friendly at all. Europe. Um, I mean, Europe is is probably going to go through that shift even faster, given the fact of what's happening in 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 Russia. That's just my my opinion, but um, uh, I still, you know, like like the U.S. is still very far from uh, making those changes. You know what's happening with Germany with uh, shutting down nuclear plants and so forth. I mean, so that's still backward looking, um, and majority of those policies are are. Are just uh, are just so so far away from from becoming uh, commodity friendly. Still, um, Africa very difficult place to operate. I mean, it's a lot of people uh, that are new to commodities uh, end up uh, looking for play, uh, for investments in Africa because they're cheap. 
Um, and, and, and certainly there's a lot of minerals there. Uh, it's a very mineral rich area, uh, but very, very difficult, very challenging to operate. Um, and so very few companies actually know how to operate in, this, in that, in that region. Um, Australia and, uh, I would say it's been, um, you know, Australia has a, has a history with, with, with mining, uh, that is certainly more friendly. Uh, we have not had a lot of issues in Australia, but some parts of Australia certainly could be a little more challenging. Um, um, I would say, um, you know, Russia and China, we are not investors in those places when it comes to natural resources. We avoid, um, you know, those uh, those types of political regimes. And um, so we are not involved. Uh, I can't speak about uh, Japan uh, very much. I'm not not as as knowledgeable. We don't have any investments there right now. Um, so hopefully that gives you a sense. I guess Canada is an important one. Canada, um, you know, even though has more of a left um, uh, kind of a left uh, leadership, um, I would say it's it's been historically a place where uh, very natural resource rich that we've. Uh, seen um, a lot of production coming from there and should continue to only uh, improve from the, from here, I would say will play an important role. Um, so when you think about countries that will benefit from this setting here in terms of the global stage, I think uh, Brazil is, 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 is in that setup. I think Brazil is, is a place that could actually benefit tremendously when it comes to uh, feeding the world with uh, with uh, natural resources, a place that is geopolitically neutral. Um, and so Canada may, may play uh, a similar role into that too. It's much more indebted economically speaking, but um, sorry for the long answer, but I was just trying to think through uh, what are my views about uh, globally here. Uh, yeah, no, no, that's good. But one, one, I don't, I don't, maybe I missed it, but I don't think you mentioned <clears throat> China uh, and, and maybe that's a, another direction to go, which is that, you know, more and more people seem to be of the opinion that if, when <laughs> these lockdowns or kind of whack-a-mole uh, periods of COVID uh, settle down, that you'll have another uh, reopening type of boom in China, which would then put more upward pressure, uh, pressure on commodities. Um, talk about how you think about China here in terms of the commodity uh, broader trend and how important are uh, is is China to to overall demand for for commodities? That may seem a little bit like a layup, obvious que- question, but, but let's talk through that. Well, I actually think uh, I have a very different view than most people. I think I think that I think the the conventional view of China is that they have full control over commodities. When I think it's sort of the other way around. I mean, completely the other way around. Is 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 China is a commodity importer. Uh, strategically, maybe earth, mineral, uh, uh, rare earth minerals, and so on, some others. But I would say the majority of, of, of natural resources, actually, China is is um, is doesn't doesn't have most of those, and oil, um, metals in general. It's it's uh, uh, and so you know they've certainly been accumulating over the years. It's it's kind of like India uh, in a way uh, as as a commodity importer. I think as we enter this new regime uh, that is more inflationary, that is more pro-commodities, I think um, I actually have a very different view that China uh, will have a, a large impact on commodities. I think I think commodities are mostly driven by supply, and certainly there's a, an aspect of it that actually 
uh, is demand driven, but the majority of it is really through supply. And that's why the CapEx trends are so important. Um, I mean, we've had to think about this. China was growing, supposedly, their numbers say, uh, tremendously over the last uh, decade or so uh, prior to 2020 uh, crash. uh, And, uh, and we didn't see a bull market in commodities, and why? Um, you know, if 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 they're the ones driving the demand, that the really the economic engine of 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 the global economy here. So what? Why in the world we didn't see a bull market in commodities? Um, you know, those those are important questions. The other thing I would say is, um, if if you if you just think about, uh, if I tell you that the the, the second largest economy in the world will, will shut down about you know 40 percent or so of their economic activity, um, and uh, and I'll tell you you know, and I ask you what do you think it's going to happen to cyclical commodities like copper? Uh, what would you answer? You would say it would completely collapse. Well, we just saw that, and it didn't. That didn't happen. Copper did not collapse. You know, copper was down. Um, but it, it did not. It did not collapse at all. It, it sort of consolidated. So it goes to show how constrained the, the commodities uh, markets are when it comes to supply, and and why I believe this is this is a market that has shifted. And I think a lot of people have not figured that out yet. That's just my view again. But I think think we're in a place where you want to be buying the dip in commodities. This is not going to be a straight line higher, as we all know. But um, but but you want to be buying the dip in commodities, in my opinion, uh, as as we get along here uh, through through this cycle. Um, and I I'm not a believer in overall equity markets. I think that technology and other places that have been crowded and and mostly uh, most of the capital has been allocated towards those sectors. I think we're going to see big uh, shifts of capital that will uh, will drive uh, flows into. Uh, more of profitable businesses that are maybe linked to tangible assets. Um, and it's been my view that commodities would be uh, the replacement of a lot of those flows uh, coming out of, of, of technology-related sector. Yeah, look, I you know, the real estate market is a very important one. And even prior to that, we saw Chinese banks, you know, some of them are down 30 to 40% off their highs. And you know, those are large, large banks. I mean, they, they hold, you know, trillions of dollars in assets. And it's, it's, uh, uh, it, it sounds uh, uh, to me, you know, if, if we had such a decline in, in financial markets in China, and I'm specifically speaking about those, uh, those banks and, and other parts, and then we saw the ADR companies, you know, the Alibabas of the world and uh, being crushed by, you know, either political crackdowns or, uh, problems with the U.S. Uh, uh, and China, uh, geopolitical issues, um, and uh, and so it's, it's been sort of a domino effect, uh, in my opinion, from real estate to Chinese banks to uh, growth stocks in China uh, to the overall equity markets in China. But if I, if you know, if you if you tell me that a that a large economy had had its banks down about thirty to forty percent from their highs. You would think they would be deeply in a recession right now, and um, and 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 what we've seen so far with with commodities has been quite the opposite. They have not suffered from that at all. They actually uh, continue to um, to develop in this in this in this what we believe to be a bull market. Um, but you know, it's 
I think I think there will be a lot of again a lot of ramifications for Balbiz. You know, just think about the shifts that we're going to see in terms of manufacturing in the U.S. Manufacturing used to account by about thirty percent of GDP back in the seventies and sixties. Today is about ten percent. So that should drive non-residential uh, construction for the next uh, you know five to ten years, in my view. If we're going to come back and, and see an economy uh, that is more driven by manufacturing, especially in developed economies in general. Um, you know, Kevin and I was we're just looking at some some labor trends of manufacturing right now. Uh, it's, it, it is quite interesting that manufacturing, even from a non-farm payroll base, uh, used to be a, a much bigger part of the economy. You know, right now it's it's a very it's almost insignificant. Um, and so <clears throat> I think I think we're going to see those those changes. And a company like Apple, for instance, that has certainly benefited from globalization trends, low uh, low labor costs, you know, their margins have been benefited tremendously from that. Will that be the case in the next five to 10 years? Will, will, will Apple still be able to, um, you know, manufacture their their uh, their iPhones in, in China in the next five to 10 years? Um, possibly. But I think I think that uh, uh, I think the probability of those of those uh, things happening in, in the future here are certainly decreasing drastically. Uh, as geopolitical tensions increase with Russia and so forth, and so I'm very focused in those in those changes because I think I think the market still believes that that you know about the story about China, um, and uh, I'm I'm quite concerned about those. I'm, I'm I, I think I think we're going to see some shifts there, and I think um, I you know I've been very uh, bullish on Brazil as well. I mean the pullback now in Brazil, we we've added to some of our positions as as a as a way of, of of playing this commodities market is historically very linked to, um, you know, very correlated to uh, commodity producers over time. Um, we think we think that there is uh, a lot of cheap opportunities there as as a result of those those changes. And so, um, anyways, it's a lot to unpack, but it's uh, uh, yeah, I, I certainly have a different view. Well, I don't think I'm in a place that I can actually opine much of folks going away from from LME and other uh, other other organizations like that in terms of uh, of exposing uh, or expressing their views. But um, I I would say um, what happened there was was uh, um, kind of ridiculous, right? Uh, and when it comes to um, you know if you're <laughs> if you're taking risk on something, you should. Uh, you should be responsible for that, uh, and if it went against you, you should be responsible for that too. But uh, that was, uh, um, you know, whatever. That was that was a little bit uh, outside of uh, what I thought it should happen. But however, um, no, I'm not. You know, I, I think ultimately, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, I would say, a lot of discussions when it comes to manipulation of markets and commodities and and so forth. I'm sure there's a degree of that that happens here and there. Uh, but uh, I think that the the bull case uh, or the the macro thesis behind it is is much larger than than the the kind of short term manipulation that we see here and there. Um, but um, and so uh, ultimately, I think I think you want to be uh, very focused on finding high quality assets in the space. I think I think you want to. I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings of when it comes to supply. Uh, you know, you know, there, there are certainly a thesis for things like uranium, for instance, uh, uh, and, and uh, but it's not related to supply. It's it's related to political shifts. It's related to uh, where we think energy uh, is is going to go from here. Uh, how we're going to feed 
uh, this electrification going forward and so forth. I mean, there's certainly a, a theme there, but it's, it's nothing related to, to, to supply nickel uh, or lithium. And, you know, lithium is, is incredibly hard to mine. I think there's a, uh, you know, the majority of capital uh, allocators that we talk to, the first question they ask is, are you guys investing in lithium as well? Lithium, and according to uh, folks like Quentin, is 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 incredibly difficult to to get it out of the ground, uh, and uh, and so a lot of people are gonna and probably uh, uh, you know uh, I, I think a lot of people may actually lose a lot of money uh, in those investments uh, in in the future. Here, it seems like a no brainer, but nothing. There's no such thing as a no brainer. Um, I would say, um, yeah, I think I think I think the market in general is just. Uh, uh, in a learning curve about the commodity space uh, that we probably have not experienced in, in many years, and including ourselves, that so we've been in a learning curve in general to uh, to try to find those inefficiencies. But uh, uh, it's been uh, it's been challenging. It's been uh, you know it's hard to find uh, folks that actually know what they're talking about nowadays when it comes to commodities. I'm with you on the Brazil uh, point. I was I, I, I initially was initially. A little bit of a joke when I said, you know, Brazil stocks look interesting. And I said that because it basically hit the COVID crash levels. Then I had a huge move. And then I realized there was a huge, uh, very enthusiastic Brazilian fintwit community. Uh, <laughs> so I get I get like my most engagement. So I shared in the space here a tweet that got a lot of, a lot of engagement. Brazil managed this shit way better than the Fed in the sense that the CELIC had been rising really since early 2021. So their mm-hmm. central bank did the right thing by trying trying at least to get ahead of inflation while ours in the U.S. did, did quite the opposite. And that, that will go into business cycles as a, as a later uh, question here. But Well, I, you know, I think, I think that that's, uh, you know, sure, it's a possibility. I think that the biggest deflationary risk to the market certainly is the rise of the dollar relative to other currencies, uh, something we've been trying to hedge uh, in our portfolios. Um, um, I, I think, uh, I know you didn't say 08, but uh, there is, a, I think, investors have been more conditioned to think about this as the 08 environment uh, when it comes to uh, oil prices rising, forcing the Fed to act the way it did, tighten monetary conditions, and then trigger uh, a recession. Um, I think I think this is uh, you know quite the opposite of that when it comes to the capex trends in commodities. Uh, ultimately, I think. Uh, this this problem that we've had of of uh, misallocation of capital over the years, too much going to technology and too mu- too little going to places like uh, commodities and natural resource industries is something that will take time to uh, um, to uh, to shift. Um, we're seeing certainly some of that right now, but I I um, you know I maybe there is a possibility of a depression. I'm I'm not so much in that camp just yet. I guess I, I'm I'm in the camp of we're going to see uh, real growth uh, declining. Um, I think we're probably in a in a recession already in real terms. I don't think you know it's very difficult to find S and P 500 companies that are growing their top line already uh, over over what we think inflation is, which I don't think it's 8.3 percent or 8.4 percent. On a year-over-year basis, I think it's much more than that. Um, so, if you think about that, I think it's uh, um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be challenging for companies and markets right now. Think still that inflation is positive for for equities. I'm not sure that's the case. 
um, you know, especially when we look back in history. But, um, you know, Mark, I've, I've been struggling with this because it's, it's, it's really, uh, you know, we all try to look back in history and understand other times used as an analog. But, I mean, have we ever seen a time when we got the 19, you know, the, the debt to GDP problem of the 40s with inflation of the 70s, with the speculative environment of the 90s and the late 90s and the, the late 20s? Um, my answer is I don't think we've ever seen this before. And on top of it, you can throw the fact that capex of, of, of most natural resource industries are, are near record lows. Um, I think it creates real political constraints when it comes to uh, the, the, the issues with inflation. I think this uh, trifecta of macro imbalances uh, creates uh, real political constraints. Um, and um I'm not so much in the depression camp, I guess, because I, I think, I think the the I think uh, Paul Tudor Jones said that if I might steal his his phrase that the gene is out of the bottle when it comes to inflation. Um, and sure, I think inflation cyclical, just like in the '70s was too, uh, the '40s and 1910s, uh, where you know inflation uh, certainly can uh, can decelerate growth over time. Uh, we've had three waves during the during the seventies, and maybe we're at the end of a first wave here now. Uh, and I think that could potentially be the case. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, a, a severe depression where, uh, well, you know, I got to think about that one, Mark. I don't, I don't know. This is not well, so no, much my base, but well, you know, it, it is an it is an unpopular opinion. As I, <laughs> there's also a lot of it. I keep going back to this point: the uneducated speculation is astounding. I kept on saying that all throughout last year. I don't think this bottoms until you have that uneducated speculation in a deep depression. Yeah, I might have a different view. Uh, well, I think the the definition perhaps of inflation, we we with you know that's I think what you said is uh, is undeniable when it comes to the devaluation of of fiat currencies relative to things in general. Uh, but um, uh, about the shortages. Being transitory, I think. I think it all depends. Perhaps the logistics side of things might be transitory. Um, I think we crossed the Rubicon when it comes to the trends in globalization. I I believe that that maybe perhaps it started in 2016, but certainly we're you know much much more. Uh, it certainly has exacerbated more recently with uh, with Russia and Ukraine. Maybe the the pandemic problems and you know i i don't think that i think that's uh that's a, a you know i call it the fourth pillar of inflation i think that is very inflationary let's see another thing i would i would say perhaps we may have different views which is absolutely fine uh is on oil uh i you know i i think that uh as i said before i think commodities uh markets and cycles are predicated on capex trends um and uh, demand does display a role into into things in 08. We've had capex for ENP companies, for instance, in the oil space was about 150 billion dollars uh, annually at the peak of of, of that. And uh, uh, today it's about 40 billion dollars. You know, you you think about where GDP was and where GDP is today. We should not be spending that. I mean, we should be spending way more than that. And so. Um, you know how do we fix this in you know in 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 three quarters or so, and it's going to be difficult. And so until we make those uh, projects to to uh, come into production, so I've been uh, I've been struggling thinking about the 
how much of the what's the degree of, of transitory when it comes to the commodity side i think that's uh uh that is uh and you know i think there's something more trans that, that could perhaps and i, I know there's a, a whole thesis behind wages and salaries uh when it comes to you know in real terms it's not rising and you know if you see a squeeze of margins it may may hurt uh, wages and and uh, the growth in wages that we're that we've experienced uh, since we came out from uh, from uh, from the 2020 crash. Um, I think that that's uh, you know that's you know you can have two arguments there perhaps. Uh, but what I call the the four pillars is really is uh, sure that wages and salaries, but also the the supply constraints on the commodity side specifically. Uh, the the third one. Uh, being, I mean, just think about the amount of, of fiscal stimulus that we're seeing. I mean, it, I, this is one of the most aggressive uh, fiscal uh, 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 fiscal agendas we've seen uh, relative to where unemployment is and relative to where inflation is uh, in history. Uh, and I've, I don't think we've, we've seen any degree of that with unemployment rate, how low it is and, and inflation being, at, you know, 40, 50 year highs. A fourth one is the deglobalization. I think it's uh, um, hard to measure, but it's. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's a real trend. I think protectionist policies are on the rise, and uh, I'm, I'm quite concerned that 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 will only uh, intensify inflationary trends. And I, I understand it's difficult because we just had a lot of inflation, and or you know, where if we wear a, 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 our, our traders hat, uh, we're probably thinking, well, things probably. Uh, are you know markets are priced in too much when it comes to uh, the possibility of further inflation here in the next twelve to twenty four months? Uh, but let's say you do end up having the deal world becoming the uh, world becoming a um, an, an actual scenario. What what do you think the Fed would do? It, it, I think this would be really interesting um, if. If you have this persistent inflation and treasuries continue to act the way they did last week yeah. as a risk off asset, because that would suggest there's another type of D word, which is that there's a return of a deflation pulse in the long end of the curve. And if that's the case with leverage as high as it is, I, I've made this point many times last year, and I look stupid for having said it now with hindsight, but I still maintain this idea that the real risk isn't that uh, inflation. Uh, is going to be long lasting. The real risk actually would be the, quite the opposite because it would suggest that no amount of dollars is able to create the secular long term inflation, which is maybe up up for debate until until with hindsight. Wow, that's a very good question. I I don't know if I I'm, I'm at the uh, if I can really opine uh, with with a lot of value uh, when it comes to that. I've I've my interpretation of what's happening is is more of the opposite of of how what's going to be the inflationary wave of 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 what's happening with the lockdowns in China. Um, but uh, you know, I've, I've I think I think I've had a, a different view from from most folks. I, I I was I was certainly more in the deflation camp. Um, and I, I'm very appreciative of the views on, on that because I think particularly with the dollar, uh, um, and that is why, you know, for us, when it comes to portfolio positioning, we've had a, a very large book on, on tangible assets and commodities in general, energy, metals, and, 
uh, agricultural and, and and so forth and and our thinking is if, if we're wrong about those you know how can we actually um, you know what are what are the things that could potentially hurt our portfolio we think you know in depressionary environment as as mark was referring to i would think that equity markets wouldn't be trading at near record valuations i would think technology and other sectors that have been uh, a large portion of of those uh, of those uh, appreciations when it comes to uh, equities um i think would uh would certainly be hurt, um, and so we've we've got shorts there. Um, and another another thing that we've been very focused has been the the potential for devaluation of currencies in a large way relative to the dollar. Uh, and I would say it's, it's incredible we haven't seen any major depags or any major devaluation of large large economies. I'm not talking about Turkey, Argentina, Venezuela. I'm talking about you know European countries or or really. Um, you know, Japan or 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 UK back in 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 the nineties. I think the nineties was the last uh, decade that we've had. Uh, you know, the Asian crisis and so forth. I think I think that that thesis of looking for currencies that have that recipe for disaster is is something we're really really focused. You know, we've got a short in the yuan and uh, Chinese yuan and the the Hong Kong dollar as part of that. I mean, it's it's you know just the implied volatility is just so low to what we think could potentially happen, and it just makes sense. Now, to your to your question, I going back to your question, I I'm, I'm not sure I'm uh, I, I have a view about 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 that uh, potential increase in in inventories uh, uh, when when log- the logistics uh, globally begin to. Uh, uh, be reestablished here as 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 things come back to more normal. But uh, um, yeah, I I've been you know I I think I think there's some uh, cyclicality uh, impacts here that that may potentially happen with with inflation perhaps uh, being near its 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 you know near kind of more at a peak level here, but. Uh, but if, if you look at the long-term trend of of all the structural problems that we have, um, I think I think this is a new regime. If you just take a look at, let's say, you know, nominal GDP over year in the U.S. all the way back to the '40s, we're just looking at that. You know, we're in an upward trend that was a market regime all the way to the '80s, and that we've been in a downward trend of of nominal GDP growth uh, all the way back from the '80s to now. And I think we're at the other side of that, and the big driver of that is, is certainly inflation and and changes the whole market dynamic. Uh, the the treasury um, commentary that I think Michael did, um, I I think I think treasuries uh, you know move uh, uh, treasury yields move uh, too quickly uh, to uh, to the upside here as well. I've, I've, uh, I've actually expressed those concerns as well internally. Um, but uh, ultimately, when you think about what's happening with fiscal spending and the amount of issuances of, of treasuries, I think ultimately treasuries could actually um, treasury yields could be significantly higher from here uh, a few years from now. But it's you know it's uh, it's hard to play that right now with with the way things have moved recently. So we're not we don't have that in the portfolio right now. So we just. Just kind of uh, watching that closely, uh, but uh, I'm sorry for not answering your question specifically. Uh, 
Well, by the way, I will say that I, one of the reasons I do appreciate Tavi is, is that he's honest. <laughs> it's not like you know, anybody that's done the media rounds like 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 I have on on the CNBCs and Bloomers of the world. There's this old tactic, right, where if you don't know the answer to the question, you say, "Oh, that's a good question," but you know what a better question is. At least, <laughs> at least Tavi has been <laughs> honest in that. So. Well, I think ultimately what drives gold higher is is what maybe started a you know I think the crypto uh, movement was certainly uh, I've been saying this a, a very probably the largest libertarian political movement we've had um, in in history period um, and it really reemphasizes this whole thesis that I think a lot of gold bugs have uh, have been using, which is questioning the credibility of fiat currencies and um and uh and 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 questioning as well uh, you know international reserves that, that most of central banks hold and something i've been really uh also uh, concerned is the fact of how we look at the most credible central banks in the world today and they're 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 considered credible because they have a lot of us treasuries and um, when you think about that for a second, it's, it's owning debt from a lar- another largely indebted economy. Um, and in my opinion, I think that that's uh, perhaps about to change when it comes to um, the improvement, the necessity of central banks having to improve their uh, international reserves. And I think gold is going to play a big role into that. Can Bitcoin and other, maybe other crypto assets play a role into that? Perhaps I mean I no I'm not a uh, it's not what the, the the base scenario is what we are looking at we think gold will play a bigger scenario a bigger uh, role into that I think gold will also play a bigger uh, a bigger role when it comes to the sixty forty portfolios I think that that's uh, those changes in correlations uh, given the fact that I think we're in a different macro regime uh, will also cause uh, reallocation of assets into gold. I've been a firm believer of that. Obviously, I've been uh, wrong in the last days and weeks here. Uh, uh, gold hit new highs and uh, it's been selling off relentlessly recently and it's been uh, difficult to watch. But it's uh, you know, ultimately, you know, we it's been our focus to own and accumulate assets in the space as we think, you know, it's it's hard to believe gold prices would be lower five to 10 years from now, again, that's just my view. And if, if you are of that view and you think there is a case that gold could be drastically higher in prices from here, I think you 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 uh, you want to be taking more risk and, and looking for those, uh, those even uh, more interesting opportunities when it comes to uh, exploration, development, uh, part of the industry in, in mining. And so that is why we decided to focus and shift our focus mostly into that and work with the geologists to seek for those opportunities. But again, that's just my two cents on, uh, and the strength of the dollar has been also a big portion of, of recently of what I think hurt gold. Uh, and gold is, 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 uh, is an asset that tends to, every time it hits new highs, it tends to struggle. Uh, we've seen this many times in history and the second lag of gold is usually what tends to be the, the, the most uh, intense one and I think I think potentially that that could come in with uh, some sort of uh, reversal of the Fed policy and um, I think that there is certainly a possibility of uh, um, some sort of, uh, of of macro event like that that would uh, that would trigger that that setup for for gold I mean the 
the macro thesis is is intact when it comes to the drivers. It's just it's just a question of 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 that. What's what's the real trigger here? And I think the potential for maybe it's yield curve control at some point. Maybe uh, maybe it's just a reversal of of the tightening cycle. You know, who knows what's what's the potential here? But it's uh, maybe it's the deep recession that we may come in, and maybe the depression scenario that uh, Mark was referring to, which is a possibility. Uh, all of those could could be, you know, important uh, market developments that can shift. Uh, I think the the sentiment in the gold market, and it's incredible. I mean, it's, uh, everyone is is still so bearish on gold, and uh, the I think it's it's a very uh, um, a very interesting thesis is still, and and uh, so I mean we we just remain focused on that part, and uh, and and have other themes uh, to uh, uh, yeah to to capitalize on. By the way, I will say real quick, uh, back in, I think it was April of 2020, I put a piece out on Seeking Alpha uh, saying the only way out is either hyperinflation or defaulting to the Fed. Uh, so at least there you have, you know, one person and maybe maybe a few more. But go ahead, Tavi. Well, I mean, it's the debt to GDP problem is, is uh, I think most, most of us would agree that inflation is one of the routes uh, to uh, fix that, that problem. Um, I think hyperinflation, just like depression, is a possibility. Uh, it's the, definitely priced in uh, with uh, with a higher, uh, you know, you're you're paying a premium for that for that risk right now, given the fact that you know I think inflation is more of the narrative today. Um, so certainly a lot cheaper to uh, to bet on a on a depression versus a, a hyperinflation right now, but. Um, my understanding of hyperinflation is that those developments are also things that happen through uh, when smart capital it starts to uh, to really leave uh, capital markets in general. And so, I use it as an example. It's been you know Venezuela or even Argentina or Brazil in, in the '90s, where you start seeing large corporations leaving the country and going else, elsewhere. And you start seeing that downward pressure on the currency by those capital outflows. Uh, and then as smart capital leaves, you start seeing a shift in political environment um, when, you know, most of those times you see some sort of, um, you know, populist uh, uh, leader that, that starts to, uh, to, uh, to gain momentum uh, as, as a way of, 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 of a hope for, for a shift. Uh, that hope is, 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 you know, is is unfortunately never never really comes to fruition as as we see um, authoritarian regimes take place in, in as a as a as a kind of a resolution of all this. Uh, but uh, but that's really that that the uh, the shift of the capital of the smart capital is really the beginning of that. Do I believe we're going to see that in the U.S.? Um, I, I don't you know I don't think so. Uh, but um, I think. I think I can change my view along the ways. Um, I'm not so I'm not betting on hyperinflation. I don't, you know, if, if that happens, actually, it'd be great for a portfolio. But um, you know, I I don't foresee that in in the next uh, years or so here. Um, you know, I I think I think we have. Um, I think we, you know, what's happening in Japan is is quite interesting. It could perhaps play as a as an interesting scenario when it comes to. Um, you know the rise of cost of capital in a very levered economy being forced to now 
you know, really expand their monetary base and purchase those uh, those uh, uh, those instruments of JGBs at unlimited amounts uh, and and driving yields lower in an already inflationary environment. It's a scary type of of, of market regime that we may see here in the U.S. and uh, uh, that um, I think it's um, it's extremely negative for. Uh, any fiat currency relative to a tangible asset uh, and why we saw gold rising in, in Japanese yen terms uh, recently and also versus the dollar, uh, which uh, I think that, that there is a potential for that in places like Europe and, and the U.S. as well at some point. But, um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I, you know, just putting again my, my, my trader's hat, not, not as, as so much as an investor, it's 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 hard to bet on hyperinflation when you had the the developments that we had in the last twelve months, twenty four months or so. It's it's a lot more difficult to uh, to make that bet right now, given the fact that a lot of people believe in inflation. Uh, but uh, but inflation is a psychological shift, as a lot of other folks have spoken about, and um, and uh, it changes consumer behavior. Uh, and I think you know where maybe I would have a different view with Mark. Um, respectfully would disagree it would be on uh, perhaps is uh, uh, certainly we've seen that that shift psychologically in, in, in terms of the consumer behavior here in the US uh, that kind of reminds me what I've lived through in Brazil and uh, and I think I think it's hard to reverse those patterns um, and I think we're gonna see a lot more than that not less uh, when it comes to uh, uh, yeah, uh, decisions in general that, be, that the consumers um, have when it comes to spending capital. But uh, um, yeah, anyways, I, I don't I don't think hyperinflation is 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 so much of a risk for short term. But uh, uh, again, I would benefit from that personally. But it's it wouldn't it's not my base case. Well, I think that's uh, that's a challenging question just for the for energy in general has been uh, is, is a little bit different than other parts of, of the commodity space. I mean, we've been struggling finding uh, energy companies that are not hedging uh, their the energy prices uh, when it comes to uh, when they're generating their free cash flow. It's it's, uh, it's been a challenge uh, to find companies that are on the other side of that and taking the risk. Of, of and benefiting from the rise in oil and natural gas, um, I think I think that's uh, goes back to uh, an earlier question. I believe Jeremy asked uh, regarding um, if you should own the commodities or actually the the producers. Um, I know I we own both, um, and so it would maybe be uh, be a problem with our producers if something along those lines, more extreme that you were referring to would occur, I think uh, certainly it could potentially be negative for those investments. But uh, I would think that ultimately uh, we would still, uh, I think we would still see higher oil prices personally. I think that the, the supply uh, side of it is is much more severe than the majority of people think. Um, and uh, <clears throat> But I can speak with more confidence with, with metals than than energy because that's uh, that's our, our background when it comes to what we've been working on in the last uh, couple of years uh, in 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 uh, in the mining space. Um, look, I think I think uh, you know we've we've had some developments like that in other parts of the world, uh, more emerging markets uh, when um, you know even 
even Brazil has gone through a lot of that, even nationalizing uh, some of the companies, becoming state-owned companies, um, and so they can have a better handle on uh, amount of production that comes out of those 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 corporations. Uh, and the the, the biggest uh, impact of that tends to be, uh, believe it or not, on on the FX side, and you know that's that's um, that's a risk to uh, to the dollar if we start seeing, I think. Uh, you know, very severe changes politically speaking uh, in 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 those in those terms, and if that's going to happen, now I would think that as as a you know as a just looking at our portfolio, I would think that gold would perform very well in that setup. But uh, um, again, you're you're throwing a kind of a more extreme uh, uh, scenario uh, at me. I, I think I think we're seeing some of those changes today politically. Um, um, absolutely. You know, the, the, the windfall taxes and so forth. I think that's all, uh, the, especially the involvement of, of politicians when it comes to, um, how much, uh, how much production those oil companies will, will be having in the future here. I think that's all, uh, valid points. Uh, but I think ultimately the, the, the supply issue to me is, is, is what drives the, 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 the fiscal commodity much higher in prices, uh, and uh, I, I, uh, I think I think this is very different than other environments. I don't think this is O eight at all. I, I really think we're going to see um, oil prices continue to rise from here, uh, natural gas as well, uh, and I, I think it's going to happen across most commodities. Um, and agricultural commodities are also going to go the same way uh, too. Um, so hopefully, I answer your question i i think i've never seen an environment where these companies are making this much money um you know it's um it's sort of insane when you look at especially uh perpetual estimates for energy companies right now uh it's 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 absurd how much they're generating they're really printing dollars right now it's uh <laughs> some of those companies uh just looking at shell uh was is is uh, as an example is 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 making more money than um than uh than what the Federal Reserve was buying in 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 treasuries uh on a monthly basis uh, I think no, I think they're what 20 30 trillion billion dollars right now in in terms of uh, of free cash flow they generate every every on an annual basis um you know just put that in perspective with what QE was <laughs> on a monthly basis uh it's it's kind of interesting but they're making a lot of money it's uh it's it's incredible but uh the political environment, I think it's it, it could shift more negatively in terms of that, as as you said. But I uh, ultimately, I think the fiscal commodity will continue to benefit. I, I um, commodities to equity ratio is at a fifty year low, uh, and I you know we've seen this in the seventies, we've seen this in two thousands, and um, you know this is not a this is not a short term trend, and and I think oil will play a role into that. Where um, sure we may get caught up here and there with with bear markets along the way, but I think the cycle overall for the next five to 10 years is that commodities should outperform overall equities. And I think that's been the focus when it comes to portfolio positioning is, is how do we, how do we really uh, look for the best investments in this space um, that, uh, that, that can actually really uh, benefit from those, those trends um, regardless if it's politically or, or macro. But uh, I think the um, yeah, I think this is a, a different regime than what we saw back in the last uh, decade or so. 
I think it's a that's a good place to to end the space again. Everybody, uh, I'm gonna make this an edited YouTube video probably the next week or two. I feel like I've been through a marathon. Like I just watched Avengers all over again uh, with Tavi Costa as the special guest. Everyone, make sure. again, everybody, thank you so much. Uh, really do appreciate everybody's help. Tavi, you're the man. And uh, Tracy, I will see you tomorrow. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.